For those of you who don't know who I am, uh, I'm YPT, Pastor Tom. I serve here in youth. Yes, I know. I love you all. And some of these questions are from you. Some of them you've submitted. Some of them uh, we knew you weren't going to ask them, but we asked them for you because we knew what some of your struggles are. Uh, just to review very quickly, we've heard a message about time wasters. We've also heard a message about substance struggles. Then we heard a message about relationships and sexual sin. And then last week I preached on isolation. So we're going to spend tonight walking through those four subjects that are very much related to each other in many ways, plus some of the questions that you asked. And before we do that, I'm just going to ask each person here to just give us their name, just a little bit about them, so you kind of know who is talking to you tonight. So, Pastor Jared, go ahead and start us off. Yeah, my name is Jared, and I work here at the church doing young adult ministry. So, uh, yeah. Um, grew up in St. Louis, so go Cardinals. I've uh, got a wife and four kids. Let's go. Yeah, I'm a Darian, and uh, yeah, some of you guys may know me because I was in youth a year ago, and then I just transitioned uh, to work with co I help with uh, all the interns and the residents. I'm married, no kids, have a house, and a dog. Bean. Let's go, Darian. Guys, I'm Logan Counts. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Some of you all, raise your hand if I taught you in elementary school. Come on, let's Whoa. go. Some of you I didn't teach, but that's all good. I would have taught you. Uh, no, I've worked here at High Street for a while. I used to be an elementary PE teacher. That's why I had some other students. So let's go. Yeah. Glad to be here tonight. Uh, so I'm Ben Shank. And... Um... So I was on staff here way back in the day. So before there was a YPT, there was a YPB. But uh, Mary got three kids. And uh, if, you, if you ever want to compete about anything, just compete with him. He will beat you in all of the ways you possibly can. All right, so we have a whole bunch of questions. And the reason we ask them to be on this panel is they are faces that you may not see all the time, but they actually serve in or are part of our young adults ministry and other ministries in the church. And they understand what this is all about. And you guys may think, oh, we're high school students, we're middle school students. This is just like unique to us. Actually, these challenges, if they don't get resolved now, are carried by you into young adult ministry. So they are very used to talking about and dealing with this stuff. So if you can learn to follow God's word today, you will find that certain parts of life are a lot easier if you're willing to do that. So having said that, we're going to begin with our first question. Um, and this has to do with time and how we use our time. How do you know if a hobby takes too much of your time and has become a time waster? Don't all go at once. <laughs> they got to get the groove going. Well, I think one way that you can know that something has kind of become an idol, right, is if your schedule, if you start to orient your schedule around that thing, right? So if your schedule, you start adjusting it based off of whatever that is, whether it's uh, playing Fortnite or whatever, if you're, that is like dictating everything that you do, that's when you know that that hobby, that whatever has gone too far and it's become a time waster. And that's, that's kind of one of the biggest ways I think you can see that. Anyone else? 
Yeah, one of my favorite pastors, the way that he says it, he goes, um, it may not be wrong, but it may not also be wise. And so I think about that a lot as well. Like one day, like I'm going to stand before God and like, again, nothing wrong with playing some Fortnite or, you know, hanging out, enjoying some time. But, you know, if I, if that becomes something where it just becomes all consuming, I'm going to look back and say, okay, what did I do with my life? Like, how did I honor God with what he's been given, you know, given to me? And so that's something I kind of filter through my own life. Yeah, I think in um, high school and college, I really put a lot of my identity in like sports or I was in a sorority at Missouri State. And whenever that became my only identity, like I didn't think people uh, thought of me whenever I wasn't good enough in sports or whenever I wasn't maybe the loudest or had the most ideas. I knew that like that was where my identity was, was in sports, was in sorority, was in whatever, like being good enough instead of like my identity of being in Christ. So I think that that's like what you have to check too, because if like you're just like, oh, I am Darian and I'm in a sorority and I go to Missouri State and that's like all I say about myself, that's not all about me. I'm putting all my identity in in those things when it should be in like Christ. I would say this too, last thing for, for me anyways, is don't turn a good thing into a God thing right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of good things that you can do, but don't make that the utmost. I would rather view everything as God is my number one priority and everything else filters through that. So if I am an athlete and I'm playing sports or I'm in band and I'm spending a lot of time playing music, whatever it may be, I'm doing that for the glory of God and I'm looking at it through that lens. Yeah. One of the things that I tried to do at the beginning of this year was like, would I be okay if that thing was taken away? So for a month, I'd go without social media or for a month I'd go without a certain food and it's like maybe you're not okay doing that and maybe that's in a wrong spot in your priority list uh, if you wouldn't be okay without that thing. I would say as I see this sometimes a hobby becomes a job and that's a different path but most of the time I think what we're talking about is fun stuff that you're not probably going to make money at because as much as you all think you're going to like make millions on Twitch probably not going to happen. I'm not? Are you trying to? (laughs) Thanks for the tier one sub, appreciate it. Well, you know, got a little reality check there. All right, next question. Um, And this comes in from one of the students. And it's an interesting one because this is not the kind of question that usually comes in from a student. It's almost like long-term thinking about life and what is important and how I should spend my time and what my priorities should be. So this is the question. Uh, and I can qualify, verify, we can follow up here if we need to. How important is church in my life? And this is, this is what they were asking. If I'm old and dying, should I still try to show up? So they're like, hey, I'm 91, and I'm like not doing well. Should I still be at church even if like I could die when I'm there? That's pretty much the sentiment of the question. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> somebody's serious. So it's a great question because it really does go to stuff that we see people struggle with. So what? So do you need church even if you're like old, you already learned yeah. everything, you're maybe yeah. not learning something new every week even potentially? I, I would say the people around you need you just as much as you need them. Uh, we're blessed to be at a church where we've got all generations of people. We've got kids in the nursery and we've got uh, older Sunday school classes and, and lots of folks that are, Pastor Eddie always says in our church, to be old, you gotta be really old. There are several 90 plus year olds in our church that we're blessed to have. 
And you're like, man, at, at that stage of life, like how much are you adding to things? Like what are you able to, to physically do? Man, those people are such an encouragement as me and Logan talk all the time, being young in ministry, having those people that are seasoned and weathered and have been through really hard times and can give you really good advice and you know that they've raised kids. They've been through some of the seasons that you've been through. And they offer words of encouragement like, hey, you're going to get through it. It's going to be okay. We need that wisdom. We need those stories of God coming through that they have. Yeah, so this last Sunday, well, actually the last couple of Sundays, I had the opportunity to speak in the Legacy class, um, which if you're not sure, the Legacy and the Companion class are a little bit older. Uh, the oldest classes in the church. And uh, I'm used to speaking more young adults and things like that. And so it was, uh, it was so interesting. I went in there and, um, and I talked and had, felt like I, I did what the Lord wanted me to. And I believe the oldest lady in there, 99 years old, comes up to me afterward. I mean, she can like, she's in a wheelchair. Wow. She comes up to me and she encouraged me. I'm sitting over here like stressing, okay, how can I encourage them? Like, what can I say? She comes up and she encouraged me. And I think it's a microcosm of what you were talking about, Jared, is that Man, if she didn't show up, I wouldn't have gotten that word of encouragement. And if I hadn't showed up, hopefully the Lord had spoke through what I had said to encourage her. And so church isn't just about me getting what I can get. And it's not just about her getting what she can, but it's about us as a community. And that's really hard, I think, especially because you guys, how many of you guys are seniors in here or juniors, seniors and juniors? Can you raise your hand? This is, this question, if you haven't already wrestled with it, is a question that you're going to wrestle with as soon as you leave high school. Because you're going to have to ask the question, how important is church to me? Uh, my background, I was actually atheist and agnostic until I was 25. I didn't want to be a part of the church. And then I heard a lot of arguments that said, like, church, you know, it, it wasn't worth going to. There's a lot of hypocrites, things like that. But I, I wrote down this uh, verse, and I think it's important. So it comes out of Ephesians 5.25, and it, it's typically used in like marriage counseling, but there's an important point here. It says, husbands love your wives, and this is the point, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if we look at Jesus as our example and our model, he literally came to earth, put on a dirt suit, lived this life, died for his church, and it said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So how important is the church? Enough that Jesus would die for it. And so I, I think that just changes at least my perspective when I think about what can I get, turning it to what can I give. That's good. Anyone else want to add to that? No? Okay. All right, we're going to move on to a different topic, and this has more to do with substances. Um, specifically, when is too much bad for you? And I think the intent of this question is there are some things that we know just pretty much they're bad for you. You know, if you're going to go take a hit of meth, there's never like, well... Can I just do a little? Is that okay? No, it's bad for you. But other things like food are good, but it's a question of how much before it becomes a problem. So how do you, how do you guys determine that? And, and I think we may have heard just a little bit of some of what I'm thinking from you, Jared. Um, what would you say? I can't remember what you're trying to get after. <laughs> well, if I'm it's honest, my job to answer the questions, but if you can't give it up. Oh, if you can't give it up, I, I smell what you're stepping in now. There we go, there we um, go. If you can't give it up, it's probably something that you have an addiction to. That Even, even if you don't have an addiction to it, even if you're like, man, I, I, could, I could give it up any time, but you don't want to, then it's probably at a spot in your life that it shouldn't be. It sits on a pedestal a little too high um, than, than if you shouldn't. So, man, my question would be is if there's anything in your life 
humans are really good at making anything really, really important to them. Whether it's your sports, whether it's your comfort, whether it's your food, whether it's being ranked in Fortnite, whatever that thing is, we're really, really good at making those things the most important. Logan said, don't make a good thing a God thing, that we make those things the most important in our lives. God gives us good things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy being around people. That's a biblical thing to do, to have food, to like have a place to live. But if you make any one of those things the most important thing in your life, you're not going to be headed towards joy. You're not going to be headed towards the things of God. And ultimately, uh, Satan will keep moving the goalpost on you. If it, if it means like, I want to make JV, you make JV. Okay, I'm not as happy as I thought I was going to be. So I'm going to try to make varsity. You make varsity and it's like, okay, now I'm going to go try to get a D1 scholarship. I got the D1 scholarship. Like, the, the, you just keep moving the goalpost of like, you never really actually make it. So don't start there anyway. Set your hope on Christ and be truly fulfilled in him. And then it puts everything else that you can enjoy in life in its proper place so that you actually can enjoy it, so that you can have a good meal, so that you can be with people, so that all those things fall into their proper spots and they're, they're good for you. You can enjoy them without them being too much. Could I maybe just speak to substances, not necessarily food, but if we're talking, I mean, I, I wrote this post on um, my Instagram, uh, called it Dear College Freshman, because every single year, in young adult ministry, we meet a freshman, and this is their story, okay? This is their story with substances. They came to college, they smoked as much weed as they could, they drank as much as they could, they uh, had as much sex with their boyfriend, their girlfriend, whatever, as they could, okay? And where that left them, right, is a broken place. Every semester, I can't, it's like clockwork. Every semester, every year, I meet someone who's a freshman, sophomore, junior in college, and this is their story. And they thought that this substance or this thing that uh, was pleasurable was going to make them happy. And where do they find themselves? They find themselves at rock bottom. And why, my, my thing is, is like, you don't want to go to rock bottom. You don't want to be there. So if you'll make the decision now, like with substances, and not question, the question is not how much is too much. The question is, is like, okay, if God is my highest priority, why would I even engage in this? And I just, like as a warning, as a, as a, as a word to you of someone who I deal with people are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, all the time, and I see the brokenness and hurt, avoid it. Man, and you hear people say that, right? You come to church and you've heard that before, right? Don't drink, don't do drugs. But I am telling you, there are people over and over that are at rock bottom. I just talked to a guy last night at Young Adults who this was his story. And I just so much like what I want for you, whether you're in middle school, high school, is avoid the pain because it's not going to be worth it. I promise you it's not going to be worth it. It's a good word. Preach. Yeah, I was just going to say a couple months ago, I... Um, really struggled with caffeine because I would be so tired at work and I'd be like, I need a coffee. I need, I need something, I need a little pick me up. And I think like I was relying on that coffee to sustain me and I wasn't relying on like God's strength throughout the day. I was like, oh, I'll just get a coffee instead of relying on like God. And I think that that's like very real for like us. I think that we drink a lot of coffee and we're like, oh, we just need a little pick me up, but like, we can pray to God for that strength throughout the day. Like, we can ask God to grow our capacity. And, like, I wasn't doing that, and I would be, like, more tired and more tired. 
And then I was like, I, one day when I was reading, I was just like, oh my gosh, God can sustain me. I don't need this coffee. So am I totally coffee-free? No. But do I let it control my life? Like, no. Um, so I think that that's something we have to be aware of too, like what is sustaining us? Yeah, and I think, you know, you can hear some of these things and be like, oh, it's, you know, it's just coffee or, oh, it's just this or that. But again, if, if you have a relationship with God, you'd be, you'd be surprised at how the Holy Spirit will convict um, I was watching um, a TV show probably a few months back. Yeah, nothing crazy or anything like that, but it was just really sarcastic. And again, I would have no problem. Me and my wife would sit down and watch it when the kids went to bed. But this is, this is God, right? Like, God convicted me. And he was like, is this really edifying? You know, and I'm reminded what Paul says, right? It, hey, it may be that it's, you know, it's okay for you, but it might not be okay for me. And so I think you've got to have that relationship with the Lord Listen to the Holy Spirit when he convicts you and then actually do, you know, do what he says. Because, you know, I'm, I'm not there with you, Darren. I'm like, I will take all the coffee. And the Lord <laughs> may convict me next week, right? But like, but for you, it's like, hey, no, this is something that is a spiritual matter for you. And, you know, for each of us, I think as we walk with the Lord, the Lord's going to bring that to mind. And so that's where I think the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is super important in these situations. These guys don't drink no coffee. I ain't got no kids. So y'all know one day. How many of you? How many of you? You got any coffee drinkers out there? Caffeine or coffee of some sort every day, and you're like the kind of people don't talk to me until I've had my caffeine. Chris, Dr. Pepper. A whole bunch of you. Okay, so that that leads to the next question that we have that we're we're still talking about. Um, How do I prevent a substance from controlling me? And I think from what I'm hearing from all of you is if you put the substance before Christ, you're in trouble. And I would add to what you said, very simply, fast. If you can't give it up completely, then you're in trouble. So now if you're caffeine, I would probably wean yourself off for a day or two unless you really like headaches. But fasting is a good discipline. Now, medically, talk to your doctor, you know, all the qualifiers. But fasting from some of those things that you don't need in your body at all will be good for you. And what you're saying is Christ is more important to me. And you'll learn that you can be the one in control and not whatever the substance is. How, how many of you guys have ever fasted from anything? Did you just raise your hand? Humble brag, all right, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> um, no, think of it this way. Prayer and fasting, right? Jesus says this. He actually talks about it to the disciples. So we're talking about a substance that is, it's hard, right? It's hard to break. How many of you are, you've got something in your life, you're like, man, I wish I could just get rid of this. Maybe it's a toxic trait, maybe it's a substance, maybe something, you say, that's me, Ben, that's me. I want to get rid of something. That's probably all of us, okay? Yeah. So Jesus actually tells us, he gives us the recipe for it. He says, he comes down from the mountain after his transfiguration. He comes down into where the other disciples are outside of Peter, James, and John. And there in their midst is this kid who is demon-possessed. So you thought you had issues with your substance. This kid literally has a demon inside of him. And his dad comes there and he's like, hey, I'm bringing him to the disciples. Y'all have been healing people. Please heal him. And they can't do it. And Jesus walks up and he says, oh, you don't have any faith. And he's talking to his disciples. And then he casts out the demon. The disciples look at Jesus and they're like, what the heck? Like, how did you do this? And Jesus goes, he goes, this kind can only be brought out through prayer and what Pastor Tom just said, prayer and fasting. And this is, a lot of people will mysticize this. This is all that it is. Prayer is connection. It's a conversation with God, right? That's how we connect. Fasting is disconnecting. So I'm connecting with God and I'm disconnecting from the world. 
if God is speaking and he speaks in, right, we, we know this from Elijah, right? Like here's, here comes Elijah, he hears the wind, he hears the, uh, the fire, he sees all these things, but God was what? In the still small voice. See, the problem isn't that God isn't talking, it's that we're not able to hear. We're not listening. And so when I pray, I'm connecting with God, and when I fast, I disconnect from the world, and all of a sudden, the still small voice becomes a roar, and I can hear what God wants, and it allows me to disconnect from the things I need to. That's good. All right, changing gears, we're going to talk a little bit about relationships. Um, And I know this question, because I've been asked this by more than one of you in the room. What do I do when I feel like I need to be in a relationship to have worth and value? That's a tough one. Um, the, the problem there isn't that you, there's the desire for the relationship. I think God gives us desires for good things. You have a desire to eat. You have a desire to, to, to be around people. You have a desire for good things. The, the, the bad part of that question is what happens when you feel like you need that so that what was the end of it? So that you have worth and value. So that you have worth and yeah. value. So, yeah. so I would say that's where the real question lies is you, you have to know and you have to be able to nail down like where does my value come from? Because if it is reliant on anything but Christ and what the Bible says your value comes from, you're going to be searching for a long time. No person is going to do that for you. There's going to come a time where you date somebody, you, you, and it just, you're going to realize that that person can't fulfill you like they're supposed to be. I mean, we're all up here and we're married, and if we, I could ask each of you, does your spouse fully fulfill you? What would the answer be? No. They just don't. And I've been My, married the longest. Your, your, your spouse cannot fulfill you that way. So if you feel that that's something that's there, so how do you keep from doing that? I, I would say you have to start assessing, like, why do I feel this way? What are some of the feelings and thoughts that I feel because I don't date someone? Is it jealousy because my friend is dating somebody? Is it something else? And here's, here is what my advice would be. Talk to someone that knows you that can help think through these things with you. Because sometimes when you're in the middle of it yourself, you need somebody with an outside perspective to, to speak truth to you because sometimes it's hard to do that for yourself. Yeah, I think that, I mean, when you look at, all right, how many of y'all have ever been lonely or self-conscious? Anybody? And you've, you've thought, man, I'm not that confident right now. Man, that, you could have described my, my end of my high school career and my early college career. That's what you could have described me as. And I remember, I, I picture this, all right, and I, I, don't, I don't know why I remember this so much, but I remember one Christmas Eve, and I was uh, in college. I think, it was my, I think it was my freshman year, and I had had a girlfriend in high school, and I was like, man, I'm single now. I didn't know who my friend group was. I was trying to figure out all this stuff, and I remember how lonely I was on that night because I did not view myself like what Jared was saying. I didn't view myself as a child of God made in his image, right? And I wasn't understanding my vertical relationship with Christ. Then because I lacked understanding in that, it affected me horizontally in the way that I felt everywhere else. And so I'm telling you, if you're in here, everybody just raised their hand. Everybody struggles with, with being lacking confidence. Everybody struggles with loneliness and all these things. And guess what? If you went out and you took a poll with people who are 50 and 60 years old in the United States of America, you would find the same answers. Because just because your relationship status is not single doesn't mean that you're gonna be satisfied. Only that satisfaction can only come through Christ. 
Thanks, man. Who was that? Let's go. I like you. Yeah. I just want to read a verse for you. Um, if you. If that's you, you feel that way. Like, I just want you to hear this, hear this verse, because this is what God, I really believe this, he wants to speak this over you tonight. And it comes from Ephesians 2, verse 10. He says, for you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. I mean, think about it. Like, Paul, single. Jesus, single. You don't need to be complete and be married. You don't need to be complete and have a relationship. You are a masterpiece, and that comes from God straight to you. And so if you're wrestling with that, I would say, look at your identity. Is your identity found in having a relationship and what somebody else is going to bring to you? Because what happens when you get married, and we're kind of talking about this, but if you get in a long-term relationship or you get married, what you find is even more heartbreaking if you put that on somebody else. Because what happens is if I put that on my wife, and I remember doing this when we first got married, she was going to be my everything, right? She's the one that was going to complete me. And all of a sudden, this crushing weight went on her and that, in a weight that she couldn't fulfill. And then I became very upset when she couldn't fulfill what I wanted her to in my own life. But if I recognize that God has created me as a masterpiece, that I'm complete in him, and he's the one that provides that for me, all of a sudden now I'm freed up in all of my other relationships, That's and right. I'm free in my own identity to be who he's called me to. That's good. You guys are hearing a lot of wisdom tonight. You just need to know that. All right, next question. Why does my sin matter if it isn't hurting or affecting anyone else? Got this one. <laughs> Don't all go at once. Your, your sin can't not... Have, I, I think I talked to you about this, Nathan, once after Ooh. a service. I, because I have this saying that I say is that sin never doesn't have a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. If you threw a pebble into a pond... It's going to ripple. Even if it was super tiny and you can't see it from far away, that is, that is a lie from the enemy that your sin doesn't affect anyone else. It's just not true. Any sin that you engage in will always eventually spill out and affect other people in some way, whether it's instantly right then or 20 years down the line. It does, uh, sin always has a ripple effect. Yeah, in the Bible, it talks about how in our hearts, like out of our, our tongues, we like speak. And so whatever is stored up in our hearts, like if I'm having problems with gossip, that's coming out of my mouth. Like that is affecting other people. If like all that is flowing from your heart comes out eventually, and that's what your actions and your words, like it does affect people, um, whether you think it does or not, like you are portraying in your actions and your words someone who is not you. Um, and so it affects those around you. And no one wants to be around that either, you know. There's a difference between actively fighting sin and, like, living in sin. And I think that, like, when we're living in sin, no one wants to be around because you're not actively trying to fight your sin, and you're just stuck, and you're negative, you're critical, like the enemy is really getting you. But if you're actively fighting sin, you're confessing to other people. Like, you're wanting to glorify God, and you're doing those actions, so therefore people want to be around you. Yeah, even if it is just affecting you, you feel like, and you're like, I'm just, th this sin makes me sad, it makes me upset, that means that you're probably not going and being the person that you should, that God's called you to be to the people around you. Imagine, who in here has an iPhone? Anybody in here have an iPhone? Imagine if Steve Jobs never did what he did and never created an iPhone. None of us would have an iPhone. 
Imagine if you were called to be the light to your school and you got caught up in sin. You just, you just ah, it's not that big of a deal. These people don't really need me. You're angry. You're frustrated. You're all these things because of what's living inside of you. That means that that light is not at your school. Your school is missing something. It's missing everything that God's called you to be there because you're caught up in sin. We need more people that are on fire for the Lord at your school, in your families, at your jobs. I think even the question itself, like the idea, um, could you word it again? I'll tell you exactly what it says because I've heard this and I've said this myself when I was younger. Why does my sin matter if it doesn't, if it isn't hurting or affecting anyone else? Because yeah, I think even the question itself, it almost puts us in the place of God, doesn't it? Like I know better than God what is good and what isn't good for me. Like, yeah, okay, God, I get these big things over here. Those obviously are sin. But this, and this is the funny thing about, again, I came to faith late in life and so I wrestle with this at in my mid-20s, and really wrestled with several things in the Bible where I was like, I don't agree with this. I don't like this. And here's the, here's the deal. If you haven't read your Bible and you haven't had those things come to your mind even now, I would challenge you to read your Bible. <laughs> like, there's some things in there where you sit down and you wrestle with it. Like, why would you say that, God? Because I know some great people. I know some really nice people out here. Like, and you're saying that? But this is the interesting thing, and Jared, you hit on it. Right? The idea is that I, I put myself in the place of God and I don't recognize that if, because at the end of the day, this is what sin is. Right? We know that it's missing the mark, but I also believe this, that sin is anything that doesn't allow for human flourishing. Like, Why would God set in place the rules that he did for our human flourishing? So if there's something there and he's the, he owns the, the manual, he wrote the manual for us, and he says, this is actually in the long run is bad for you. What I'm doing is I'm saying, no, I know better than you. And when I play that all the way to the end, maybe not in the here and now, maybe not in the, you know, six months, one year, six years, but if I played all the way to the end, and how many things have I missed out on that God wanted to do in and through me that weren't for my human flourishing, my family's human flourishing, Steve Jobs, the world's human flourishing, yeah. because I chose to do my own thing. I also think uh, probably a sin that you don't think that is actually affecting the people around you and only affecting you is pornography because you don't realize actually how that's messing up with your mind and like splurring into your relationships. I never struggled with it, with it, but I had a ton of friends in college, girls and guys. I think a lot of people don't talk that girls struggle with it too. And I think that that comes into your relationships, that comes into your marriage, that comes into like you viewing the world, you sexualizing everything, your thoughts, like how you treat a girl, how you treat a boy. It affects people even if it's just harm for you. And I don't think that people talk about that like enough too. I think something to remember with this question is we each at the end will meet Jesus. And while he has been and is our savior, he will also be the judge of the world. And in Numbers, he pointed out to the children of Israel very plainly, be sure your sin will find you out. And whether it's today or at the very end of your time and life and existence, you will answer for what you've done. And you'll always answer for it before. You just don't think so right now. All right, next question. Um, we're going to go to one that I just got today. What does the Bible say about canceling people? And they were not ready for this question. It's okay. You can do it. 
I have every confidence. And you all know what I mean when I say cancel. If you don't in the room, I'll give them a second by explaining. Uh, when someone gets canceled, basically we say, your voice will no longer be heard. Actually, there's a, a, a religious group called the Amish, and they do something similar. They just call it shunning. And we do this in popular culture today. Yeah, we no longer acknowledge you, we cut you off. So that happens, and it comes from having the wrong position, it comes from saying the wrong thing, making the wrong statement, whatever it may come from, it comes from a number of things. But scripture speaks to this. So what say you? One of the first things I think of in terms of, all right, I'm putting myself in the position of, can we agree that there's people that you would like to cancel sometimes, okay? I, <laughs> Those toxic people. Yes. How like, many? <laughs> I, I get it. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to get frustrated with Look people. Look at a nice sharing and, office, so I know who he's talking about. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Hey. And the feeling, you know, just part of it. Uh, I think of the thief on the cross. And, uh, you know, obviously when Jesus was being crucified, there were two thieves being crucified with him. They were essentially canceled, right? In that day and age, in Roman culture, they were being crucified, put to death as a punishment for their sins. They were essentially being canceled, right? And what does Jesus say to the one thief? He tells him, today you'll be with me in paradise. This guy didn't have a chance to get down off of the cross that he was on and uh, make right all of his wrongs and all these things. And what did Jesus do to him? He chose to, in that moment, forgive him. And I would way rather go through life not canceling people than canceling people. One of the things that is a, is a, do you want to know if you're growing closer in a, with your relationship with God? If you're constantly cutting people off, you're probably not growing in your Christ-likeness. That's just a reality. If you're constantly cutting people off, maybe you see your parents do that. Maybe y'all have had a group of friends at school and uh, one of the other girls or guys are with like, we're not hanging with them anymore. We're done. Like, and you kind of cut them off. It's like, man, if you want to grow closer and become more like Christ, you shouldn't have an attitude of, I'm going to cut people off. That's, uh, we want to have hope for people. If Christ followers lose hope for other people in the world, man, we're in trouble. This is what Romans 8, 38 and 39 say. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, all in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That there's nothing on earth that if you know Christ... If you're found in him, if you're a believer, you can't be canceled. Your sin is canceled on the cross, but your, your personhood, your identity is found in Christ. There's no sin that's too big or too bad or too bold or too awful that Christ wouldn't die for and didn't die for. That's just not true. So there are things that are wise and unwise to stay away from, but we can't cancel people because God doesn't cancel people. All right, good we're going to do one more question, and then we're going to wrap it up because I'm watching our time. Um, and we have more that we didn't get to today. This is a hard one because this is a struggle sometimes, right? What, what do I do if I'm dealing with something and I haven't told my parents? So here's the question. If I told my parents about the sin I'm in, I would be in so much trouble. How do I find help? I mean, you're looking at a guy right here. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> and, a, and a room full of leaders as well. Yeah. But I want to hear from you guys because you're right. The resources they have available are, are many, and it comes in the form of pastors and leaders. But, but what do you do? And how would you, how would you counsel this 
group of students with that question. Because it's good for them to hear it from somebody besides me. They hear it from me all the time. Yeah, I think, I think there's something about having, as you get older, like I, I have two pastors in my life that are my pastors. Um, these are mentors of mine. And these are people that I go to with difficult problems. Um, and they pastor me through these difficult situations. And I think this is something that as you begin to walk through, as you begin to walk with Jesus in this life, you begin to look and see who are the people that are trusted counselors in my life. And we literally, I, th I think you guys still literally call them counselors, right? Like, if you're a counselor here, could you just raise your hand? I want you guys to look back there. These, yeah, we can give it up for our counselors. Come on, put your hands together. I don't know if you know this or not, but these people back here aren't paid any money to be here. <laughs> They're here because they love you. They're here because they love you a ton and they want to walk with you as, as they walk with Jesus. And the thing that I've realized, you know, over the last 37 years of doing life is that I need people to speak truth into my life with love. That when I share something that's really difficult and when I share something with them that I'm not sure what to do next, I can trust them with the information to point me back to Jesus. And those conversations I've had so many times in my life, some of them have been really tough and others of them have been freeing. But I'll tell you this, that if you don't have somebody like that, if you don't have a counselor, if you don't have a mentor, that's the very first thing that I would look at. Find somebody that you can trust and be able to share those things. I remember when I was probably a little, I was like 16, 17, 18 years old, and I had some sin that I had not dealt with. I had some stuff that I was not proud of. I thought, I grew up in church. My dad grew up at the church that I was in, so I wasn't, I was Ronnie Bone's kid because he was, <laughs> he was a kid at our church and every old person knew. So I grew up, I wanted everybody to like me. So the thought of like, I can't tell my parents. I didn't think I could tell anybody the stuff that I, that I was, was walking through. So I was terrified. And I had this guy, his name's Gary Greminger. He's 20 years older than I am. He's an IT manager. He was my counselor in seventh grade and then again in ninth grade. And I remember after my ninth grade year, I was at a service and I felt so overcome with conviction. I was like, I gotta, I gotta tell somebody. So I walked out and I remember, I could show you the, the closet that I went to. And I laid on the ground and I called Gary. He wasn't even there and I called him. And I remember thinking, this is probably the end of what everybody thinks of me. Everybody's gonna think I'm like the worst person ever. And I remember calling him and I wasn't met with like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were capable of that. I was met with love and kindness and a plan to be restored and made better and hope for the future in me because he loved me. And that was the beginning of being like, Okay, people aren't, people aren't going to pin me to the wall and then write my sin above me. Like, that's not appropriate. Like, sometimes you have to think, what's the worst possible scenario? That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen here. Like, I, I had to tell myself that and then go, these people love me. These people love God. What we talked about earlier, cancel culture doesn't exist in true Christianity. It doesn't right. exist with God. So you will be okay. There are consequences to sin, absolutely. But you're, if you're in Christ, your sin is forgiven and that's what you have to know completely. First John 1, 9 talks about that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. So first you have to know that your sin has been forgiven. You just got to tell God about it. And then James 5, is it 16 or 17? 16. 16. If you tell someone, confess your sin to one another, 
you'll have healing. Because the, the, what is it? The prayer of a righteous man does much good. You guys want to be healed? I mean, I don't want a generation of people walking around with like different things that they're not healed from. You ever see somebody with like an open wound on their arm and you're just like, bro, get, put a bandage on that with some Neosporin. Good night. Like you need healing. You don't want somebody walking around with a torn ACL with it. Like you want healing. And that's what happens when you confess your sin to one another and you realize I'm going to be okay and God is going to make me better. Or they've got a wound and it's bleeding out, but they're hiding it underneath a white t-shirt. <laughs> You're like, well. oh yeah, nobody can see this. Nobody can tell. Because that's the plan of the enemy, is to keep you in the dark, make you think you're the only one. But I'm telling you this, like, we, I love having fun and you know, dancing and we're doing our thing and it's a ton of fun. But real church, real Christianity is these conversations. Look in somebody in the eye and say, I love you and God loves you. And we're going to restore you. Like We're going to bring you back to God's good plan for your life. And when you do that, I'm telling you, there's an incredible amount of freedom and you realize what the church is all about. Yeah, I think uh, mentorship is huge. Um, I grew up in a very like broken family, a ton of divorce. Like my mom is on her third marriage now. And so I didn't really have anyone, like I would confess my sins to my mom and be like, I did this. And she's like, I'm happy you told me. And like, I, she's not a believer. And so I was like, hmm. Uh, so when it came to high street, I had Laura Demers as my mentor, and that was like Tom and Laura were the first like godly marriage that I saw, and I was like, wow. Actually, I do, because I never desired marriage, but I was like, wow, I actually like think I might desire marriage now because like that is what it's intended for, Like, and I never saw that growing up. And so being able to walk with like Laura through, I was single, then I was dating, then I was married, and just like all of like my brokenness, being vulnerable with her, I think is the first one. Like, yes, you can have a mentor and you can just be super like surface level. But I was just like, Laura, this is what I'm struggling with. This is who I am. This is what I've dealt with. I want you to know all of it. So that way you can help me. That way you can point me to scripture. And I think that that's super important is being vulnerable with your mentor and actually confessing like your sin. Because Laura never looked at me and was like, wow. She was like, you know what? I'm going to point you back. We'll redirect, you know? And then she brought me along. Like, she let me see Tom and her's marriage. Like, and now I'm like, okay, I want to take this from their marriage. Or I go over to the Bones house, and I'm like, I want to take this from their marriage. And, like, that is, I'm just taking everything. Um, but that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to live life together. And I think it's a powerful thing when we come together and we just share all of it. And we're just like, hey, this is how I do life, you know? It's good. We need those positive examples. All right. We're going to end, but I've got a word for you first, okay? And some of you here would say, this has been good, but I'm not sure. I don't know what my next step is. I'm not sure how to think about this. I don't know what to do with it. I've got a verse for you, and this goes to what they've been talking about. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So here's what this verse is saying. We can thank God that even though I used to be a slave to sin, and that is the story for some of you in this room. If you're honest, it's the story for every single one of us in this room. But now you have come to obey from your hearts the pattern of teaching that has claimed your allegiance. And so this is what I want you to hear tonight. 
there are three parts to you as a person. The first one is your mind. It's how you think about things. And how you think about things determines the way you feel and the way you act. We have a mind, we have emotions, and we have a will. And if you don't think the right things, you're not going to feel the right way and you're not going to act the right way. And if you try to feel good but you don't have truth, you're going to end up in a mess and you'll be in trouble. And if you act the right way but you don't know truth, you're going to do some crazy stuff and you're going to be like a legalist and you don't know why you're living life the way you do. But if you begin to understand that while you were a slave to sin and you have been rescued by Christ, you have him as your example, as your teacher, as your savior, and you now can follow the pattern of teaching that you have heard this evening. They have given you God's truth, repeatedly pointed back to what God says in his word, reminded you that you should be reading and studying this for yourself so that when you don't know what to do, you can get God's answer to that question. And then your allegiance will be with God, not with a substance, not in a relationship, not with the world, not isolating yourself from everything that is healthy for you, but with the God who created you, with the Savior who rescued you, with Jesus who makes it possible for you to live a whole life. And some of you tonight may say, I want that, but I don't have it. I can't follow Jesus because I don't know who he is. If that is you, I'm going to ask you to come find one of us leaders after or even come and talk to one of them because all the things we've talked about are not possible without Jesus Christ. It is only through Christ that we find rescue, that we have hope, and that we can live life the way God intended. So if that is you tonight, I'm going to ask you to come and talk to us. We're ending a little different, but that's okay. And before we walk off the stage, I'm going to ask you to give them a hand. They did a great job.